Welcome to Multifamily Live. I'm Timmy Yarusi. And I'm Jason Yarusi. Our mission is to help you unlock your full potential as a multifamily real estate investor. So you can do more deals, bigger deals, with less stress, keep more profit, and free up your time. Multifamily doesn't have to be a mystery. It's time to go live. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show, the Passion First Podcast. I have an incredible guest with me today, Jason Yeruzzi. He is an active real estate syndicator, real estate investor, and Jason has founded uh, Yeruzzi Holdings, which is a multifamily investment firm that has over 800 units under management in 2016. Uh, The firm repositions property through operation efficiency, uh, moderate to extensive renovation, and complete rebranding. Jason is also the host of the Multifamily Foundation, a podcast that provides actionable content tools to build and strengthen your business, covering all things from finding deals to raising money and asset management. Jason is also the founder of the New Jersey Multifamily Foundation Club with over 2,000 members uh, focused on real estate syndications, multifamily investments, and trains others on the success formula to buying multifamily uh, buildings. And you can find that at the multifamilyfoundation.com. Jason has also started and exited multiple Uh, companies over the last 15 years, uh, including his family's construction business, which has a unique niche of literally elevating buildings and moving them. They've moved over 2,000 homes in the last seven years alone. Uh, Beyond real estate, Jason spends his time with his wife, Pilly, uh, three kiddos, Luke, Lily, and Leo, and is an avid crossfitter and runner with a 100-mile race that he did back in November and another one coming up in two weeks Jason Yeruzzi, welcome to the show. That is an intro. I was going to say, I need to give you the cliff notes. That's a <laughs> lot. I mean, the show's over. That's all I got. So, okay, <laughs> where do we I go? Got. Yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, I, I want to start just with your, your background, kind of who you are, who, what, what created J- Jason and uh, where, where you grew up and all that. So, if you can give us in the audience a little background on who you are. Sure. Born and raised in New Jersey. Uh, grew up playing a lot of sports, really was active in that. Uh, went to college, same thing, played football at college, went to Lehigh University, and then uh, stopped playing at a point because I, I got really sick just offhand. It was just a, a weird thing. And, and for that, started just finding different interests, right? I was doing good in school, but then was coming out of school at a time where I had a finance degree and just it just wasn't, just wasn't the interest, right? So yeah. I, I've done a lot of different things from opening restaurants. I started a brewery to uh, all, all kinds of different jobs as I, I just found my way as we do, right? So the, mm-hmm. the, the straight tra- trajectory that really doesn't happen in life, why I took a, a, a side road and it led us down many paths just to really understand me and let myself figure myself out. But I also along the way met my beautiful wife, Peely. Uh, she was born and raised in Hawaii and just happened to go for a student uh, program back years ago now, um, doing Shakespeare at Hunter oh. College in New York City. So she was there for a couple of years and for some reason liked the snow, which I don't know why. Uh, and then that fact, ended up staying and we connected and been together now about six years. So it took us about 13 years to get together and we moved back out to New Jersey. When we were out here, we started helping the family construction business. Very busy time uh, after Hurricane Sandy happened out here. There was a lot of damage that needed to be repaired still it's still going it's a work in progress yeah. but doing that work we started to have our family you know had our first son she's five now um have two other beautiful kids and 
we just knew we, we needed something more in our life that wasn't just going to be work, work, work. And if you don't work, there's no money. And yep. that's traditionally how a lot of the world really operates. And we just kept trying to throw that against the wall and say, well, what, what can we do here that, that can help us not have that? Right. And so some of these other investments were, were giving us the, this, this passive income. There were just other points that were happening there. So we were looking at something that could really just take that and accelerate that. So real estate stood out in our mind. And of course, not knowing anything, we just got started with, with just the things that you hear the most. Right. So Peely became a realtor, of course, yep. active. Right. We started flipping homes, of course, active. So it was that we started making activity on top of activity and just going further and further away from the actual bullseye that was there. And it took that Peely met a friend who was successfully basically buying homes out of state and they were, you know, buying single family homes where we looked at that model and said, well, that could be a model, right? We had done Airbnb. We were just trying the models here to understand where we fit, if we fit anywhere. Yep. And with that, I said, well, why don't we just try for a duplex and, and a triplex? And we just brought those that didn't buy the, the single family. And that was our first exposure to multifamily in such a small level, right? We, we just started, it, it, something went off in my head where I just said, wow. I said, well, we have a process set up. We're not doing any of the work. And all of a sudden, checks are showing up in the mail. Well, what a nice feeling. But it dawned on me that we still didn't have that great economies of scale because got a duplex and one unit moves out, well, you're still 50%, you know, you're 50% totally. So it's only going so far. So to me, we had, you know, first year, of course, rock and rolling. Well, what if we could compound this, do this on 20, 50, 100 units? Mm-hmm. And that was the first step into large multifamily where we started looking at that landscape and just asking the questions and finding the pieces that we needed to put together just to solve that puzzle, take that first step. So we went from really, you know, a, a triplex all the way to a 94 unit was our first purchase. So, wow. and it wasn't, it wasn't as parallel as that we, you know, one day we said, okay, we're not going to buy anymore. And the next day we buy a 94 unit. It was about a, a, a year, a nine to 10 month ramp up where we aligned with other individuals who had like-minded thoughts. And we said, well, let's follow their process. And the thing being a stubborn Italian, come raising up in that family, you always want to assume you can do things the best, right? And yep. that's usually the curse where you always want to recreate something that's already being done fine. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, I'm always trying to get better at, but what we're learning consistently is that there's processes out there that you can use and, and of course, adapt it to your own approach, but use as, as, as a base and build your foundation off of that where so many times we, we just are so stubborn that we want to create the process and it, there's so much work on just learning the process that we miss the ultimate goal of, okay, we want to buy, for instance, large multifamily property. Absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners struggle with is they want to do it themselves. But modeling is such an important aspect of what I've seen in successful people. There's yeah. a process already established. And if you can get connected with that network of great mentors and just people that are striving after the same thing uh, and model their process, it can speed up where you went from a, a triplex to a 94 unit. Um, was that 94 unit that that was the first multifamily uh, deal that you, you did? Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. So the small ones were all under four units or under five units. So okay, first large one of that scale. Yes. How long did it take you to how long were you in single family investing? And then when did you transition into multifamily? How long of a time period was that? Well, 
it's probably a little over two years on the single family side. We didn't stay long. We, okay. you know, we, we, we have a diverse construction background in the housing world. So that that's another unique part. So we've always been around houses, but it, yeah. it's, it's the, it's the opposite way, right? Like I could be the pizza guy delivering to a house, but I'm not the owner of the house, you know? Exactly. So yeah. Different aspect. Okay. Uh, and so you did the 94 unit deal. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of the ins and out? How did you find the deal? Who did you work with? What was the financing on that and the exit strategy? Sure. So ideally here, when you're basically learning what you want, the, the, the best thing you need to do is be specific. And okay. when you're not specific, people can't help you. So if I was just like, I want to buy multifamily, well, that can mean something different to everybody. But it's a, if it's a broker who's successful out there, how could they really help you? They might send you, you know, a 10 unit. They might send you a class A new construction. They might send you a 500 unit. They might send you something in a war zone. They might send you something downtown. Well, yeah, it's, that, that's perfect because that's what you told them. You yeah. want multifamily. You gave them no guidance. Yeah. But to get specific, people fear that they're going to miss out on, on the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But when you're not specific, you don't know what that opportunity is. Because you you can't tell one good thing from the other. Because if I said, uh, you know, here's a hundred unit property for three thousand dollars a door in Memphis, is that a good deal or a bad deal? Uh, well, it could be either, depending yeah. on where you are, depending on the stress of the property. But you don't know because you're not specific to to really your approach. So we got very specific that we wanted anywhere between a seventy five to one hundred fifty unit BC asset built between nineteen seventy and two thousand in certain sub markets of Kentucky, of Louisville, Kentucky. Now I give that guidance to people and they understand. And then I can now from there understand the teammates I need. Mm -hmm. Along with that, I need a broker. I need, of course, multiple brokers. I need a property manager, insurance person, a cost segregation person. I need to start building out my repertoire of team members who can now assist that are not my ultimately immediate team members. And then on my team, myself, and when you start, you could wear a lot of these hats. Most people do. I did myself. But you, you have lead generation. You have asset management. You have underwriting. You have guaranteeing the loan. You have a capital raising. There's so many different aspects of that part. Yep. So you need to understand all those steps of the process that are involved so you, you can be specific what you want. So for us, we knew what we wanted, and we started targeting those deals, offering, and we were being – maybe a little bit conservative in the beginning as we were learning and overly conservative, I'll say. So we missed out on a couple opportunities, but we had one and it was a 94 unit we offered on and we offered, they wanted 3.2. We had found this through a property manager. And I always find that finding deals through property managers are great because property managers are always put in that tough position. If they do good, people sell the asset and they do bad, they get fired. So they're kind of like stuck in that middle position there. Yeah. <laughs> but if they can find a, a buyer who's going to keep it in their network, well, that's a win-win for everybody, especially if they're doing a great job. So we wanted to align with the property manager who had at least 5,000 units under management, very fluent in BC class properties, uh, had an arm of construction, had a real-time data software that we could use. And we were very specific what we want. So we found a group. They told us about a property where um, the owner had passed away. He was in his 90s and, and the kids were now um, thinking about selling it, right? So mm-hmm. they had their offer, their mindset at 3.2 million. Well, for us, it didn't even work close there. Yeah. But we said, hey, well, what does it hurt? You know, we're going to put a little, little you know, gust bef- between us and them and just tell them exactly why it doesn't work. And we offered 2.1. 
Well, they came back and countered at 3.2 million. So, so our, our talk track was, was tremendous that they didn't even come down $1. So we said, okay, we appreciate your time. No problem. So off we go. And we start looking at other opportunities Another three or four months went by, but what we did, and this is going to be important for everyone listening is that we tracked every, every opportunity that we were offering on. We, we were keeping a tracker. So we knew it was out there. It, it ended up being about three or three and a half months later that we just looked at a tracker and we saw that property on there. We, we reached out and just got a little more context. It was still out there. Because what was happening is everybody else was maybe offering 2.5 or 2.7, but they were so stuck in that 3.2. But time has that funny effect where people start either becoming realistic, desperate, or yep. needs or motivations change. Well, mm-hmm. all these so-called kids who are in their 50s and 60s live out of state. None of them want to be dealing with this. No. So we went back in there and raised our price $50,000. So they're at 3.2. We're at 2.1 to start. So now we're at uh, 2,150,000. And within an hour, we had a counter back at 2.6. Wow. So that was shocking, of course. Yeah. No one no would expect that. But that started a little back and forth where we end up going another month or so negotiating, getting it down to 2.3 million is where we closed. And it really, for us, worked at two point, you know, four is where our top dollar price we could go in there at. So it, it was a ton of value. The, the asset was actually built by the dad, mm-hmm. really, you know, brick construction, really nice, strong properties, but the, the management was just complete disarray. Uh, they had a lady in the leasing office. She couldn't accept rent payments. So they're having a ton of, ton of problem collections. So you had to drive about five miles if you're like a person or put in the, put in the mail. So wow. it was nuts. But she wasn't motivated at all because she was sitting there watching Dog the Bounty Hunter when we came in and just had nothing that she wanted to do with us. So six units they had rent ready, just completely vacant. But the overall overarching vacancy in this area has been 3%. It trends out at 3%. Wow. So out of 94 units that, you know, that's almost like 11% right there where we, since we've owned this property, haven't had to do any marketing. the, The foot traffic there alone has kept us full. That's great. Even beyond that, they were renting all their units over $100 in the market. So same building, same type of building right across the street. Oh, you walk over there, same thing. You pay $100 more. Wow. So we're looking at this. Okay, well, there's more opportunity. Yep. They, had, uh, they said they didn't accept pets. Every other property had a $250 non-refundable pet fee, $25 a month in pets. We did our inspection. They had six dogs and, and a snake. So for that fact, they had pets. Yep. They had two laundry rooms. Here's where another um, part came in. The two laundry rooms, one was in disarray. The other one was completely down. Well, these yeah. are the only two laundry rooms in the entire area where there were 600 units. So we're able to put both of those back online, get a contract on them, and now service not only the property, but also the surrounding units. And then from there, we just had a lot of efficiency work. It was the original toilets. You know, original shower heads. We went there, replaced shower heads, replaced toilets, replaced, you know, all the, all the flow action there, cut our water bill down tremendously by about 30%. We compounded that, that there was five buildings, two of the buildings had boilers. They were probably running at 30% efficiency, put them back on at 82% efficiency boilers, helped on that capacity. And it, we had some aluminum wiring and two of the buildings took care of that. That also helped our insurance. And then got a, a contract, a cable contract on the property, which is another revenue generator right there. It was a non-bulk cable contract. Awesome. So we were able to go in there and keep occupancy level by doing a slow rent rate strategy while we cleaned up the property and just made it a better community for people. 
That's incredible. Um, how, do you still hold the property right now? Yeah, we're actually uh, it, it, three years in, so not too okay. far into it. And it's just a tremendous cash flowing property. It's great. Tenants, we have a great tracker. You don't have a ton of turnover there because it's just, it's a great community. We, we've, we've set it up where we find that, well, it's just, it's known, of course, that having turnover, and your turn cost, you know, so your vacancy and your turn costs are costs, your, your biggest expenses. So if we can find a way where we can keep a good tenant there yep. and then now have them refer a friend and bring a friend in, they're ultimately going to stay there longer. So we, we have a referral fee that will track back that they'll get that for bringing a tenant in, do community events, anything that we can just make this that, that they know. Because with, with C assets, with B assets, a lot of your, a lot of your downside is just in, in high expenses, master metered and everything else. Well, when you're, they're coming off an owner before us or, or any other owner who maybe wasn't being as attentive to them mm-hmm. that when they had a leak or they had something just doesn't show up or says, I'll get to it. It'll be three, four weeks. Well, they stop calling. Yeah. So a big part of the process is when you're taking over a property to let tenants know like, Hey, we want, we're going to make this place better. And we want to do what you need done to get this unit working for you. So if you have something happening, call us yeah. just that little bit right there. We're usually able to cut our water bill down five percent or to ten percent just by fixing little leaks you know the the toilet the dappers running the uh the the faucet leaking any of those things well they'll bleed you dry if you're not Mm -hmm. paying attention to it awesome so you really just are going in adding value to the tenants adding value to that that property management company um when you took over that business have you done any refinancing on it in the the last three years so we actually you'll generally get lender required repairs that they'll, they'll, they'll insinuate that you have to do. And it'll be a certain timeline, six to 12 months. We went in there and jammed all those out in five months, had them out and had them inspected. We had a, it was a Fannie, um, was it a Fannie seven, six arm on that property uh, with a rolling interest rate that that just capped. Uh, We had a one year blackout period. Well, after we went through that one year blackout period, a month or 10, we refied and gave back about 75, 80% of money to investors. Awesome. So funny yep. enough, it actually, we, um, we ended up appraising back out at 3.2, which was the original number they wanted. <laughs> so, awesome. so it all, it all comes full circle. Okay. So doing those things and it's the neighborhood is now appreciating on his own merit because there's been some other owners who've picked up properties around that have taken units to a new step to even take them to premium upgrades, which wasn't, we were getting these rent bumps just with, with uh, standard terms, just standard classic mm-hmm. terms, not even doing anything of the next level. So now that gives more opportunity to the property to go up. That's great. Um, one thing I, I'd find curious when you were managing a lot of the construction on, on the property, it didn't sound like there was too much, to be done, but you did have some efficiency to do with the boilers and water fixtures and things like that. Did you feel like your construction background helped you? Did you manage that as the GC or did you hire on uh, a GC to manage that for you? No, I still manage it today. The the thing that I I see that that happens a lot is that we, we, you know, we're all opportunists and we all think things can happen faster than they can. And especially when underwriting happens, a big red flag is you see somebody's underwriting and they're assuming that they're going to have so much happened in year one, right? Okay. I'm going to capture hundred percent of the rent bumps in year one, even yeah. though we have, you know, year leases on all the tenants, you know, something yeah. as silly as that, but the same thing with construction, there's a certain pattern that is going to happen, right? You're not going to have 10 trades working at the same time in the same unit. 
you're not going to be still going to the parking lot in December in, mm-hmm. you know, in, in cold climates. There's just certain parts. So you, you just, you want to take into context the time it's going to take and seasons for which things can be done and potentially how long it's going to take with seasons or even in terms of like the aluminum wiring. Well, yep. that happens inside units where people mm-hmm. are living. So now you're going to be working along that schedule. So a unit where it was just building ground up, they were going to go in there and do, you may be moving at you know, three times the speed to which a unit that you'll be moving couches, moving furniture, putting things back, working on this, jump to the outlet. So always the timeline is very important from a construction standpoint because we're all optimistic that things can happen. And if you're going to throw in there other things that are way out of your control, like, like permitting process, you, you definitely want to prepare for that because okay. it, just because you're supposed to have you know 20 or 21 days, it, it could take four weeks. Or you have kickbacks or you take six weeks. So you always want to be budging yourself, allowing for time, okay. especially if you're bringing investors in because you, you, we don't tell them we're going to refinance when we do our deals. We'll write it in, but if the opportunity can work without it, that's where it's really a bonus. And if we can do a refi, then we will. And the reason we don't want to do that is because what if two years from now, the world is turned upside down and I, I, I had to have that refi and that's what was built in. Well, I don't want to be put in that place where I'm forced into something mm-hmm. that ultimately we can't control. So like construction, the more I can control on that side of it, the better the property will perform. Okay. What would you recommend to people that don't have the same construction background as you do? Would you recommend bringing on a partner that has that background or just finding a really trusted uh, GC and paying paying him well? Uh, What's your recommendation there? So it depends what the overall project is, right? If I, if I don't have that construction background, I'm probably not taking on something so heavy from start because they, okay. these little things will like bleed you alive. If you have yeah. like, you know, if you're like 70% vacant and a ton of down use, fire damage, all these other things that you're going to get into some code work and some other things, you don't want to be into that position, but you do have to have someone on the ground. And this could be if, if property management has that arm, this could be them, but you have to have weekly check-ins and you want to make sure that your plan aligns with everybody else's plan. Cause I could have the perfect vision, but if it can't be implemented, it doesn't matter. Or I could have the wrong vision and I want someone who's on the ground who, who knows the area that says, well, yeah, that's great. You want to do rubs, but this, it doesn't work in this area because all the other units, there's 500 units around you that doesn't do it or something to that magnitude where you want to, you want to have guidance there okay. that can help you, especially yep. if you're, you're a thousand, 2000 miles away. So yes, if you can find a partner that you feel can, can fit that missing piece, or you can hire. I mean, it's gonna be. Of course, it's gonna be cheaper to hire, right? So if you if you get a fifty fifty partner on that point, um, as long as their interests are gonna to continue to grow with you. Okay. Uh, but you you also we 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 use property management a lot um, on this one particular property. But I will price things out because I I do want to be constant of pricing and and at times. I don't feel like they're pricing lines and that may be because that's not their core competency, right? Yeah. So if they're, you know, let's say if, they, if trees need to be cut down and tree trimming, sure, maybe they'll, they'll quote that for you, but they're not a tree company. I, go, I can go to a tree company and get a more efficient price because that's their core competency they're doing day in and day out. Totally. And being conscious of that when you're managing the property even now, uh, that's awesome. Um, you had mentioned investors. Uh, how did you meet and find these investors and get them to invest on the project and, and what did that structure look like? Sure. So yeah, we did syndication. It was a 506B. So there's general partners and limited partners. Uh, The limited partners came up and they they provide equity. Uh, We put equity in ourselves, but they put in equity for, of course, the down payment for fees, for closing costs, CapEx. The part with raising money, and this has come up a lot lately where where people are into deals and they're they're short on capital. Well, 
I, we want to do this before we get into the deal. And I, I, I find that there's the two sides. You have a deal, then yep. you, need the, you need the money, yep. right? But if I don't have a deal and I'm, I'm going to be finding deals, well, then I can learn about how I can help people. Mm-hmm. Because if I need the money, then it doesn't matter what you need because I need the money. But if I, if I can help you, then maybe this deal is not right for you. Or yep. I can understand why this deal might make sense for you. Maybe it's tax advantages, cash flow, depreciation, portfolio diversification. I don't know, but until I'm able to have that conversation. So we did a lot of work beforehand, just introducing ourselves because it was, it was a new space for us, right? So we're doing single families, we're doing construction, we're doing restaurants, we're doing, but like they didn't know this side of Jason. So they understand like, okay, if they did know me, why am I in this space? And then next to, to talk about multifamily. Why do we like this space? Why do we want to be stepping into this? Whether it's a new or, or someone we know or someone we are just meeting. And then getting more specific. And we like these kind of properties in these kind of areas. Okay. And then talking next about the returns. Because if you get a deal and then try and do all this after the deal, it's so much information. People's heads explode and they're just going to say no. Because it, it just generally when people are, are come up with something, they need to make a decision too quick and it's too much information. The, the, the draws, okay, I, I don't know how this can help me. So I'm just going to say no. So yeah. doing this work ahead of time, we would, of course, tell them who we are, introduce ourselves, make sure they can understand multifamily space, understand the opportunities. Because mm-hmm. so many times people don't even know they're available. We know stocks, we know bonds, we know mutual funds. Maybe we know about single family, but buying an apartment building, how does that work? Yeah. Totally. Then we started presenting and leaving with them a mock deal. So this is the kind of deal we're going to be looking for in these returns. And then leave the conversation to see if this is something they'd be looking to invest in and placeholder of what kind of capital they would like to put to work when this opportunity comes up, whether it be three weeks from now, two months from now, a year from now. So we found this model has worked very well because when that happens, we go back to investors, say, Hey, we got the deal and it looks just like the mock deal. Yep. And now we're ready. So are you still interested to put that 25,000, 50,000, 75,000 in? And our success rate on having investors aligning with that where there's not attrition has been off the roof. You know, we, we get 12, 13 people who say, yeah, we're in. And they're all in. It's not yep. 12. And because they, they've already thought it through and they don't have to say in excitement, I'm in. And then I'll go back and think about it. And like, I don't even know what I just it said I'm into. And now I, I go back and say, actually, I don't know. Maybe not right now, mm-hmm. which is fine too. But you want to have that conversation way ahead of time. Totally. So you're really building that credibility, that relationship beforehand. And I actually uh, got to meet you briefly at the Raising Money Summit here in Denver, Colorado with Adam Adams. And I felt like that was one of the key talking points that a lot of the speakers talked about was you don't raise the money when you have the deal. It's building those relationships far in advance educating investors on multifamily, why it's such a great asset class uh, from tax advantages, everything. uh, And then getting into the specifics for the deals that you're searching for uh, and getting that interest from there. Now, building those relationships, have you mostly done that uh, when you were getting started, just word of mouth uh, with your your business professionals from the restaurants and your construction background? Was a lot of that? Correct. Yeah. And and just people say, I don't know anybody who, who would want, well, you do, you're just, you just are, you have your mind shut, right? So yep. your mind shut right now. And the easy way to find people, just yep. talk about what you're doing. You don't awesome. have to ask. And there's, there doesn't need to be the ask and where the, 
the sleazy car salesman is where people get worried about. Like, I don't want to go beg for money. Well, you're not. You're providing an, opera, an awesome opportunity. Yep. And if it's not right for them, that is absolutely fine too. Yep. Because right now it might not be right for them, not even because of the opportunity. Maybe they just got hit with a huge tax bill. Maybe they're moving. Maybe you know, they're changing jobs. You don't know. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not right today. And that's absolutely perfect. You want someone who's excited when, when you have a deal that to be in that deal. So having that build out where you're just giving people the opportunity just to understand what you're doing, yep. well, you'll find a number of people who would love to be involved with you as long as you can just keep it focused on them. We put the focus on ourselves and that's where things derail, right? Because we're saying, oh man, like they don't like me or they don't like, well, it's nothing to do with you. Do you have something that can provide value for something, somebody else and can you help them? And love if you it. can, then you will be of value. Absolutely. I actually just finished reading the, the book called Go Giver. Have you ever heard of it? Great book. Yes. Great book. Basically that exact concept is it's adding value first and focusing on other needs, others needs first and foremost, and, and just being open to receiving back after giving mm-hmm. that, that value to others and really believing in what you're doing. Cause I think both of us can totally agree that I think multifamily is the best asset class to own in the United States. I mean, just the diversification, the appreciation, the cash flow, everything, it's incredible. And a lot of people, like you said, are not aware of it. And so to be able to give that gift to people when they're looking to protect their money, grow their money, it's, it's powerful. And you've got to believe in that and be excited about sharing that with others. Uh, so I, I love that. Um, uh, I was going to ask a question. I forgot what I was going to ask. That's okay. <laughs> uh, let's, let's move into what you're, you're doing now to raise capital. I know you have the, the podcast, you have the massive community. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how that scaled from just who you knew and your kind of circle of influence to what you're doing now? Sure. So we've just continued to just open up the expansion of just telling more people. And so we, yep. we've started a meetup a couple of years ago. We have 2000 members there. We've started running some events to talk about multifamily. We have the podcast. We of course get to go on great podcasts like yourself and talk about it. And that opens up a lot of opportunities. You know, social media is another one just talking about it and just helping and just mm-hmm. talking about what you're doing. And then when people have questions, answer them. This is a very open community. So yeah. people are not going to hide answers from you. They're going to see how they can help you. And if you ask a question, they're going to give you guidance. And that's exactly what you want. And that's how we were able to scale. So making those introductions to, to people just to know that we're willing to help and we still are, has, all, has provided capital to opportunities and it, it just continues to expand. Well, you'll find that when you have an investor in a deal, like right now we started, I, I'll give an example. So we had one deal, we get, get one guy. The next deal, his brother invests. The next deal, the next brother invests. The next deal, his cousin invests. I said, oh, geez, who's, not, who's left here? You know, like, <laughs> but that's just what it is. It's, it's yeah. having that good communication and your best marketing becomes the people you do great for. Absolutely. So you get 10 people in a deal, they're going to tell 15 people each. Awesome. And it just, it wrote the snowball effect from there. So being good, being fluent with how you, how you communicate with people, communication is key. People okay. have questions, especially when you have investors, answer them quick as you Absolutely. can. Okay. And if you don't know the answer, that's cool too. Hey, I'll get you this answer. I'll be back with a response by tomorrow morning. If you couldn't find it by then, hey, still working on this. I'll be back you know, within this amount of time. But having guidance to people to give them the guidance that they know that you're there and mm-hmm. you're protecting there because you want to give people returns, but the return of their capital is ultimately what's more, most important. Okay. 
Awesome. Um, can we talk a little bit about where your business is now and where you're wanting to take it? Kind of what you have under management, what properties you're looking at and what you're doing right now? Sure. So we closed on the 58 unit um, a week ago, five days ago, whatever it was. Congrats. Uh, thank you. So we did that. Uh, we did that because we had a 48 unit. We, did, we were not going that small anymore, but we had a 48 unit and this is right next door. Okay. So it gave us the opportunity to now combine these properties. We have yeah. 106 units. The economies of scale is great. Full-time awesome. leasing person, full-time maintenance person can open up both offices mm -hmm. and make an office into the laundry rooms and I get two more units back. So compounds tremendously, but we're moving into larger product and, and just larger on value too. So we're moving into $20 million properties, really a hundred, 150 uh, units and up in more um, core markets that are in the Southeast. We've done some work in the Southeast. A lot of it's been in the Midwest, but we want to continue to follow those trends where the metrics align. So that's been the homework and work I've been doing for the last okay. two, three months is just not, not starting over, but just moving my, uh, my approach to a different market and now learning the ins and outs of those markets, meeting the right team members to have yeah. on my side and just now continue to build that network. Awesome. Awesome. Now let's get into kind of two categories that I think of people that would really benefit in building a relationship with you. People that are interested in becoming syndicators and kind of doing what you're doing. How do they get connected and kind of follow in your footsteps? And then two, if there's investors that might have some money that they're looking to diversify and that they're hearing this and like this, this sounds really interesting. I'd like to hear more. How do they get connected to you and what do those paths look like? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. So you can go over to your Rusi Holdings, Y-A-R-U-S-I Holdings.com and it'll literally give you the option. You can set up a call, talk to us about syndication. You can say on both sides, the active or the passive side. Awesome. So if you're looking to learn about the process, happy to help. Um, and from that point, anything that you have a quick question, I'm on all the social media platforms, as Jason, your Rusi, you can reach out, say what's up. We can talk more. You get a lot of my, uh, my running in there as well. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, I'll include all those details in the show notes. Um, let's get into just kind of the personal stuff real quick in the running. What is it like to run a hundred miles straight? That sounds insane to me. You know, it's just like it sounds. You're running, <laughs> it's like you're running, running, running. But uh, the community is very, very different. It's just, it's a very interesting community a lot of energy and just, and the, the compounding of the energy over a day when a day, you know, it literally could be a day that you're running. It is just, it, it's, it's, it's something to see. And I've done a lot of marathons and some of them just have to have better energy than others. But these, you, you just have people that are out there, you know, just to help and just to get in there and just to see there's certain mental barriers and they talk, you know, the first 50 miles is your legs. The last 50 miles is your head. And when you have that in your mind, it's just, setting it up before you get out there. So if you show up at the race and have doubts, you're probably not going to finish, but you have to tell your mind that you're going to, you're done with the race before you started. And that's okay. where you can parallel to it. There's things that are going to come up. So my first long one was 51 miles. Um, I had two things. I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to keep these two things and this will be the two things I'll focus on. Keep my feet dry and run uh, all the hills. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. Well, third mile in, it was so steep and so raggedy, you couldn't run it. So I was like, okay, well, there's that one. Fourth <laughs> mile in was the, four, uh, was the first of four rivers to cross. So I said, okay. So okay. Well, new rule, no rules. You go out there with the expectation that I'm done before I started and whatever comes up, I'm just going to deal with it. Just and that, that's just part of life right there, right? If we uh, like multifamily and like so many other things, if you, if you put in the approach that I need to know every single thing before I get started, well, you never get started. But yeah. if you know enough 
to really have the comfort level to say, okay, I'm going to get this done. Then when things come up, you can adjust accordingly. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I see parallels between those ultra runners. I've listened to a few podcasts on, on Joe Rogan and Dave Goggins talking about the, the mindset of just, you have to believe that you've already finished, that you're already a Marine or you're already a multi syndicated. That's part of that mindset of being successful in whatever you're going to do. Uh, and again, seeing those patterns and models to, to, to follow, to, to reach that, that success, which I think is, is awesome. Um, do you feel like you're fitness background has played a role in your success in business? You know, you get regimented in processes Mm -hmm. and the processes are important and we are continuing. Like that's just something that we continuing to need to get better on from here. That's always something we're working on. How can we refine this to make it more efficient for us, make it more efficient for others? Because it's like, it's like blockbuster, right? Like, Oh no, we're good. Like, but then you're gone. So to not have something I can continue to, move in a direction where, where it's benefiting everybody, that, that's definitely a red flag. So we're always looking at things just like in, in a game style or, 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 or fitness style where you're trying to be efficient with what you're doing, right? So CrossFit, CrossFit, the, the better you get at the motions, the, the, the workouts are still intense, but the easier it gets, right? Yep. In the beginning, it's the, the motions are, are tougher. And so that makes the workout that much tougher because you're not fluent with the motions. Absolutely. Um, kind of getting into that, that fluidity and creating more effective systems and processes. Are there any great books that you'd recommend that have just helped you in general in life or specifically with your, your business processes and growing multifamily? Sue, good question. So of course, Go-Giver is just a great book from that fact. Um, I was also reading uh, The Greatest Miracle in the World, which was a a nice one right there, the Ogmandino book. Um, That was awesome. Uh, If you really want to learn about running, of course, David Goggins' book has a ton of parallels. And there's also Dean Carnasius, The Ultra Marathon Man. Super cool. Just he's literally like the, the... the master or God of ultra running is pretty, pretty intense, but just to see how, how that transcends or like parallels with your life. Right. And it could be anything. Yeah. It just, you know, I get up very early. Um, I, I have a routine in the morning that sets up my day. If that gets altered or has to move for a moment, mm-hmm. you can see that shift. And cause it, now I'm living in, we'll call it more chaos. Yeah. And that goes for anybody. If you're, if your day starting off with just, the day telling you how it goes, yep. well, how do you think the rest of the day is going to go? Yes. How are you going to perform if, if the first thing out is, you know, phone drinking, text is going on, something's yelling, you run to this, you got it downstairs and you, you don't have the moment to just collect to really take on the day. Well, you're going to fail. Absolutely. And whether it's not that day or, or the next day, it's just going to happen because you're just working on luck and just hoping it's going to work out. Yeah. You're not working on those keystone habits or activities that are really going to take you to where you want to be and focus on those goals. Um, what does your, your morning routine look like? If you don't mind me asking, what, what time are you getting up and what are some of those sure. specific habits that you're focusing on that are keeping you moving forward? Sure. So I get up at 4.13 a.m. That's my, that's my alarm. 4.13. 4.13. Just <laughs> pick, that, pick that as I'm doing it. And that's one of those things where you just say, okay, I, I liked what um, I heard from Dr. Will. It's just no excuses, do it. So I just think in my mind, like, just get up. Once you're up, it's up. You know, it's the, the, the point where if you want to lie there and then hit your snooze, well, that's harder to get up. It's just get up and you're up. Right. So I may throw some cold water in my face. I I have coffee, then I'll meditate. Um, and then from there I do a series, I do some brain games and then I'll read 10 pages and then I'll go run. 
And that basically sets me back up. By that time I come back, kids are in some phase of, of three of them that are up or not. And, uh, usually start my day with the kiddos and then go up and get ready and get after it. Awesome. Uh, final question, Jason, what is your, why, what, what has you working so hard to help others and what, what, what's keeping you driving and going? You know, we, we, we've thought about this and it continues to build. So we, we want to build legacy wealth, not only for our family, but for those around us and be able to help hundreds of people really just achieve awesome. what they want. And, and I'm not telling people what they want, but it's what they want. So maybe they just want more cash flow and they love their job. Maybe they hate their job and they want to be able to retire. Maybe they want more time with their kids. Maybe they want to just really travel the world. Well, finding opportunities and investments that can give people the ability to, to just change their nature, that that's amazing. So we want to create that legacy, Peely and I, where we can do that just to continue to help people and let that resonate. Well, I think you're doing an incredible job. Uh, you've been an inspiration to me. I told a few friends, I was had the opportunity to, to interview you and they said, tell them hi for me. And uh, you're already doing that. So thank you so much for, for coming on to the show, Jason. You're a great inspiration. Love what you're doing. Uh, and I'll definitely include all the, the contact information below. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you. It was awesome to be here. Awesome.